of the 54th. I'm Garrett Brown. And I'm Preston Brown, and we're pretty grateful to have you here joining us on our little show. Thank you for asking me. And here I am, Jean McKinnon, still in Grand Prairie, wishing I could leave, but I'm still here. Came out here in 1968. I started off in Montreal 82 years ago, and I was born just as the war was beginning, and it wasn't my fault. I was just a baby, and then I was very sickly when I was little and ended up with polio, and my mom was on her own, and then my dad passed away when he came back from the war in 1943, and so we moved, and we moved to everywhere. We lived in Ottawa, we lived in Hamilton, we lived in northern Ontario in Haleberry. We lived in a little village called Fort Calunge, Quebec. And then we finally moved to Pembroke when I was 10 in 1949. And then I went to school in Pembroke and then I decided I wanted to go into nursing, so I did. And I moved to Ottawa and I went through my nursing program and graduated from that in 1960. And in 1964, I decided I wanted to go back to Montreal where I was born. So I stayed there with some cousins and nursed there for a couple of years. And that was when I met Jerry. We dated for a couple of years and then we got married and we decided to come west. It was the longest trip of my life. <laughs> we drove west. And we came to Calgary and we had met people at Expo 67 that we had kept in touch with. And when we arrived in Calgary, I had a job to go to at the Grace Hospital there, but the Calgary Stampede was on. So we decided we'd come up to Edmonton to see these friends and we decided we might stay in Edmonton. So we found an apartment and we both ended up having jobs. I went to work at the Edmonton General Hospital and Jerry found a job as an accountant with McCoy Brothers Spring and Steering in Edmonton, which I think is still there on 111th Avenue, 149th Street. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. And then he changed jobs. An opening came up at Ferguson Supply and Ferguson Supply said they would move us to Grand Prairie. So we came to Grand Prairie. My mother thought and asked, oh, my goodness, do you have to go by dog team to Grand Prairie? <laughs> and no, I don't think so. So we flew up, found a house, and there was a freezing rainstorm. And the planes were all canceled, so we couldn't get back to Edmonton. And the children, of course, Ian and Laura were both in Edmonton with friends. Anyway, we got back to Edmonton safely made the decision to come. And the first trip up to Grand Prairie from Edmonton, I guess was probably January of 1973. Laura was just a baby. She was only six months old. And we had to come across the ice at White Court because the bridge was out. Oh, wow. So down under the bridge, across on the ice and up to Grand Prairie. And there was not much in Grand Prairie. Oh. <laughs> Population was about, what, 11,000 at that time. And there was absolutely nothing to do. And I met a bunch of people through the Anglican Church. And I said, we really need to get something going for mums. So we had a, I got in contact with the gal at the city. 
that I still keep in touch with. She has now moved to Calgary, which is wonderful about Facebook because you can contact people from everywhere. Anyway, she came over for coffee one morning and I said, how about getting a mums group together? So we started the first Mothers Out group for morning mothers. And there was a group of grandmas from the Anglican church that would come and look after the little ones while the mothers would have coffee and have chat time and all that sort of thing. And that went on for a couple of years. And as I say, I stayed home with for 10 years with my babies. Heather was born in 75. And I was a busy mom. And when we came up here, we went to a barbecue out somewhere west on the Wapiti River at somebody's cottage. And I was complaining about how poorly the doctor's offices were run and how long you had to wait to see a doctor. And the next morning I got a call from Herb Jansen, who was a surgeon at the hospital, saying, I want you to come and work for me. (laughs) Well, in 1974, we bought a trailer and we drove to California and we were gone for the summer and I came back and I was expecting Heather at that point. So I had to phone him and say, no, I can't come and work for you. Anyway, he asked me to do his typing at home. So I did all his medical typing for him and for Dr. Strelka and a fellow, a nice specialist by the name of Don Cottrell. And I did that up until May of after starting at the school in January of 1980. And the school and the kids and the staff and everybody became my family in that 26 and a half years. And then the Browns arrived. Oh, how unfortunate. (laughs) I I can't remember what year you actually came to Grand Prairie. Do you? 97. 97? It's April 1997. Yeah. Remember, because it was shortly before my fifth birthday. I remember you arriving. and, And I will never forget that day in June. Laura at that time was in Calgary. And your mom came to the school that day to register Katie for kindergarten. Do you guys know that story? No, I know the the later half of the day. I don't know the beginning of the day. Yeah, I don't. Did you mean the day that our mom passed? Well, your mom, no, well, I had met your mom before because she'd come to the school with forgotten lunches and heaven (laughs) only knows what. Oh, no children. She was a sweet girl. But she came that day and it was so strange. And I look back on it and I I still can't figure it out. But anyway, she asked me how my daughter was in Calgary. And I said, she's fine. She said, she has a little girl, doesn't she? And I said, yeah, she does. And she said, oh, wouldn't it be nice if she were closer? And I said, yeah, but she's okay in Calgary. We go down to see her and she comes home when she can. And the last words out of Kim's mouth, God works in mysterious ways. She might be home before you know it. And as you know, four hours later, she passed away. And the next morning when I went into school and everybody was sad and long faces and and what happened? Oh, you didn't hear about Mrs. Brown? And I went, no. Because I had just gotten to school that morning at 8 o'clock or whatever. 
well, Mrs. Brown passed away last night. And from that moment on, I knew from that exact moment, I knew that somehow Laura and Ron would get together. I had no idea how, when, why, nothing. But I knew it. And then, of course, Leona Curry got a hold of your dad. I know a gal in Calgary. and (laughs) Anyway, so your dad called me shortly after school began, or maybe just before school began, and asked for your mom's phone number. And that was in September. Laura had come home for her birthday in July. And she said, oh, I should go out there and introduce myself. I said, if you want to take the car and go, by all means, whatever. And then she decided, no, it was too soon. And so your dad finally got the courage to call her. And then I heard from the teachers at the school that the Browns children's grandmother was working in the office at Harry Belfer. <laughs> and then your dad took you all out of school the following week. Well, no, it was, I guess, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving weekend, Laura came home and I picked her up at the airport and your dad pulled up in front of the house on 110th Avenue at the same time I was coming back with Megan from the park at Avondale and walked into the house. And that was when they first time they met face to face because they had done all their talking and dating and courting and whatever on the phone yeah. for a good month. And then Laura went back to Calgary and your dad went down the following weekend to Edmonton and she came up on the bus to Edmonton and stayed with the Joneses. I mean, it was a whirlwind romance. Yeah. (laughs) All the way. I recall my dad saying that when he first met her, he said that he'd never dated someone so tall before. Oh, yeah. That was the first words out of his mouth when she stood up. (laughs) Yeah. Because your mom was pretty little gal. She wasn't that tall. Yeah, I recall going down as well to Calgary. Sometime, I think it was before Halloween, we went to uh, the Calgary Zoo altogether. Halloween activities at the churches down there. It was a pretty great experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that was when I guess your dad proposed or whatever. And so that was the end of October. And then Christmas came. And all of you came Christmas. Yeah, that was October and Christmas of 1999, right? Yeah. And then the wedding plans. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to believe that 20 years have gone by, really, when you look back. And, of course, then Jerry got so sick. Yeah, God works in mysterious ways, that's for sure. He sure does. And I got a question, Grandma. What led you and Jerry to move west to Alberta from Montreal? What kind of led up to that decision? Because it's a pretty big decision. Well, we always talked about moving west a lot. And then Jerry left his job in Montreal. And we lived in Campville, Ontario, south of Ottawa for six months. And that was in preparation to come west. And I, I nursed part-time at the hospital in Campville. Just it was just a little village then. It's grown to quite the size of the city. But we always just thought that we wanted to come west and start a new life out in the west. Looking back, I'm not 100% sure that was the most positive thing to do. 
the children, when they finally did arrive, they grew up without their aunts and uncles and grandparents. And I think that has had a big effect on them in the long term. Ian and Heather are quite okay in Vancouver. It's expensive as can be to live out there, but they're doing okay. They've done well. And then Laura, of course, is still here, but I don't know for how long because they're planning on this big move south, right? Isn't that everybody's dream who lives in northern Alberta to move back south? Well, the part I find hard is that I, I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that I was still working. I never got to spend the time with my grandchildren that I wanted to. And time has passed. And that's what happens, I guess, in life. But out here, you, you hear na- negative things and stories about the people in the East. In the East, you think about the West being so friendly and wide open spaces and everything else. Well, we don't have the wide open spaces out here that we thought there were when we were in the East. But we wanted to come West. We were starting out. We were we were young, you know, so we made the decision and came. And it wasn't a bad decision. Looking back, we took as many trips possible as we could going back East every year pretty much after we came out here and I always hated leaving the east coming back west but then my mom was getting older as well and then she moved from Montreal to Pembroke that's where she lived out the rest of her life and I guess I'll be living out the rest of my life here in Grand Prairie (laughs) I can't see any way of moving anyway there were other questions you sent me I can't remember what they were Yeah, you mentioned that it was the longest trip you made going to Alberta because that was the first time that you drove to Alberta. All the other times you had flown. Is that right? No, that was the first time we drove or we didn't fly. We drove. Okay. We left 14 China pack boxes and four winter tires in the apartment. And we told the movers, we will let you know when we get to where we're going, when we find out. (laughs) And so we left all that and we drove. And it was quite the trip. Yeah. Preston and I have made the drive from Toronto to Grand Prairie. And it's a a long drive. And that was on modern roads. It is a long drive. When you leave Prairie to drive east and you drive out of Alberta into Saskatchewan, across Manitoba, no problem. You hit the Ontario border and it's like you've hit a brick wall because you're tired and you haven't gone anywhere. You're not even close to where you want to go. No. You've got another good two days drive to get to Ottawa, the Ottawa Valley, or anywhere. It was certainly one of the things that astonished me the most driving from Toronto to Grand Prairie. That it was 18 hours just to drive to Thunder Bay. And that was basically halfway. And that's quite astonishing, especially when, like, you know, growing up in Alberta, where you drive 18 hours, you, especially east to west, you made it from Grand Prairie to Thunder Bay already. Yeah. And then when you look in the UK, yep. and it's 800 miles from the north of Scotland to the south of England, that is nothing in comparison to here. And 100 miles across the widest part of Britain, you know, 100 miles across, and that's it. That's barely as far as from here to Valley View. Were you excited at first to be like going to Grand Prairie? You're saying like you, you moved to Edmonton and then Gerald got a job that they sent him to Grand Prairie. Were you excited to go to Grand Prairie or were you sort of hesitant because 
it seemed like such a small place. Apprehensive. Had two little children. Ian was two and Laura was six months when we came to Grand Prairie. And as I say, there was nothing here. But I got really involved in the church and kids all went to Sunday school and we were a busy, busy family. And that was good. And Grand Prairie was a good place to, you know, grow with your kids because there were so many new people coming here from everywhere all the time, you know. And Grand Prairie has been good for the most part. I never dreamed as a young girl that I'd end up out here. (laughs) Did you move through different houses while you were in Grand Prairie? In Grand Prairie? Yeah. How long did you stay, like, live in the Avondale area? Well, we we bought the house on 85th Avenue, and we managed to stay there. Then Jerry quit his job at the college, and another job was not in the works for him, I guess. So we moved into Ranchland Apartments down on the south side. We lived there for the better part of a year, and then we moved into the house that became available on 110th Avenue, close enough to walk to school and everything, and the kids were able to walk to McDonald's to work. They didn't often walk, but it was close enough for them to walk, and then, of course, after Jerry passed, moved from there to the Muck apartment, and then in 2004, I moved in here to Brody Manor, and that was a good move. That's good. I remember, I think, helping you move into Brody Manor. Yeah, I remember you all helping move me from the house on 110th into the Mokotok. I remember. That was on Preston's birthday. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of you to uh, be so generous with one of your birthdays there, Preston. You know, I don't remember the specifics of that day, mm. even though I've had the least amount of birthdays here. Well, I heard that uh, doctors highly recommend birthdays. The more that you have, the longer that you live. Yeah, that's true. I never dreamed I'd make it to 80. My mom lived till she was 88. My dad died very young at 43. A month or so ago, I found that I think this coming December 1st, I'll be as old as um, Kim when she passed. Yeah, she was 31. Yeah. She was too young. It was hard for us, but I think my life has turned out so much better having Laurie in my life. It's really hard to say, right? Losing somebody is always hard. Mm-hmm. But having the life experience that I've had, it's been, I wouldn't ask for something else. It's really made me who I am. Mm. Well, I tried to raise my three kids to be self-sufficient and self-confident. And I think I did a pretty good job looking at them now. (laughs) You know, they've all gone through a lot too. But for Laura to take on your dad's crew of six. (sighs) And she was only what, 29, 30? 28, I guess, when she and your dad got married. That was a lot for to take on. Yeah. You know, as a young kid, I, I did not appreciate nor understand all the difficult workings of the adult world that went to make things work for us when I was a young young kid in those years. But the older I got, I really grew a sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I later came to understand, additionally, on top of the incredible undertaking to go from raising one child to raising seven children and then eight, Mm -hmm. to also go into the difficulty it is to blend families together, which is always very hard. Mm -hmm. Even like the environment was so different that Laura came to us, like to meet us where we were Mm -hmm. and in the places that we were struggling and to help us, like even some simple things to, you know, use the pots and pans that we had. Mm -hmm that she wasn't familiar with or that they weren't hers or that they were Kim's. It would 
it would be an incredibly difficult thing that I, I greatly appreciate and I don't think I can ever fully understand. Mm-hmm. So grandma, like, thank you for raising her to be so amazing. She's got a heart bigger than the moon. I think it was all in God's plan, Garrett, because I don't know what I would have ever done without Ron and Laura here when I needed them so so badly in 2002, when Jerry needed them and I needed them. It was all God's plan. Everything in life, in every day of your life, is in God's plan. I know that you have different beliefs than I do, and that doesn't matter. I mean, I was born and raised in Anglican. I guess I'll probably die in Anglican. But God's goodness prevails, I think. Yeah, I have definitely seen the miracles of God in my life, and I'm pretty grateful for it. So, Grandma, what led you to the position of secretary at the school? How'd you end up there? I had been at home for 10 years with my babies. And the gal that worked in the library said, there's a job coming open at the school. You should apply for it. And I said, I don't want to go to work. Oh, she said, you would do an awesome job in that office. So after much coercion, I did phone Mel Larson, the principal. And he said, sure, come on in for an interview and bring a resume. And so I did. And Mary Phelps had been the secretary for 14 years. And she had a heart attack and had to go on medical leave and she wouldn't be back to the school. And anyway, it was between myself and another gal by the name of Pat Batram, whoever she is. I don't know. Anyway, I didn't want to go to work. I honestly did not. I was happy at home with my babies and (laughs) Heather was just going to turn five in March. And this was December. And so anyway, this principal, Mel Larson, he hired this other woman, Pat Batram, to work. And so she worked the 10 days before Christmas. She hated the job. She hated the interruptions in the office. She hated all the confusion, the constant everything. And so she quit. She worked the 10 days before Christmas and quit. So my friend Mildred said, guess what? The woman he hired quit. He's going to call you. And I thought, okay. And he did. And so then I had to arrange care for Heather. And I had told another gal that was going to go back to work that I would look after her little girl. So between two neighbors across the street and up the street a little bit, they agreed to take both of the girls and look after them. And away I went to work. And I ended up staying for 26 and a half years. And everything was done on a typewriter, all the student records. So we had long legal sheets of paper and every family that came in, you'd put two or three, four families on a page with their age and their birthdays and their addresses and their parents' names and their siblings. And so a family would leave, you'd have to retype the whole page. And I said, this is kind of dumb. And of course, Ian was in grade five at the time, I guess, and was really into computers and technology. And he said, Mom, there's an easier way to do that. You need to get a database. So he explained a database, showed me how it worked. And then we got the first computer at the school. And I started converting all the information off these pages into a computer. And that was a big job doing 700 kids that way. But that system grew and grew and grew. And then it was easy to take a family out and put a family in. I guess I was the one that built that first database for the school. (laughs) And then I shared it with all the other county secretaries and they all 
got their systems up and going. And it's a huge experience, a huge learning curve. So then we started out on the Apple II computer and then we went to a Mac. And then, then they brought in the IBM PCs and I had to learn more again. Yep. Just different ways of doing stuff. And I remember saying, I don't know how to merge this information so I can print certificates for all these kids in science fair. <laughs> and Ian said to me, Mom, if it's that difficult, send it to me and I'll do it or read the book. So I went back to the computer and I had the book beside me and I thought, Ian can do this for me, but I'm going to do it. And I did it. I figured it out. It took forever, but when it worked, it was wonderful. It's always the promise of computers, isn't it? That when it works, it's wonderful. Mm, yeah. And I mean, it's just I've got this new iPhone and I've got a new iPad on order at Best Buy. It's supposed to be here eventually. And when they work, it's wonderful. But technology is growing so fast that everything changes and you got to keep updating, updating, updating. You know, even with the student record system at the school, some of the secretaries would call me and I'd say, I can't get this to work. And I said, did you do the last update? No. I said, well, do the last update first, then figure it out. You turn it off and on again. I don't know. (coughs) I have a cyst growing on my larynx and my throat and I cough and it tickles. No worries. It's pretty easy to just edit out the coughing. So don't feel too bad about it. I need a glass of water. So I got to take the phone with me. I saw Dr. Wong the other day and said, the cyst doesn't look like it's growing. So that's good. And I get winded and I get really tired. I don't have the energy that I used to have. And then people say, well, you are 82, but age shouldn't make a difference. (laughs) Not in my head anyway. But I'm in my 83rd year now. Ah, I want to scream, stop the clock. Yeah, as our friend would say, maybe it's just your 63rd year living as a (laughs) 20-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about all those years I was at the school, somebody asked me on Facebook the other day, how many children did you have? I've never asked you that. And I said, I had a son and two daughters and 600 to 700 kids at Harry Bell for school for 26 and a half years. <laughs> and I, I get more conversations. And no wonder I don't get anything done around here. I get more conversations with former students that send me messages. Hi, how are you doing? And they send me pictures of their children and their skiing trips and all the fun things they're doing. And like for my 80th birthday two years ago, all those people that came from the school and there were only a couple of students that came, but very precious students, right? But they came, but I get more hits on Facebook. Anything I post on Facebook, I get so many comments. It's not funny. But, you know, I get messages constantly, like Brian that lived beside Jim in England. He's on here. My friend Lawrence Hunt that used to live here is now living in Kenora, Ontario. Janine Larson, who used to live here, is now living in Ottawa. (laughs) I just look at all these people and I'm going, oh, my gosh. A nephew in Montreal just had a birthday yesterday. And a friend, Carol Nelson in Calgary. I need to get back in touch with her. 
And then Jamie Armour, he's a computer techie that used to work at Microsoft Computers over here. He's now working for the government, monitoring computers or whatever, measuring the uh, amount of carbon dioxide that's coming out of the ground from the oil wells and whatnot. And he's always chatting. And like, <laughs> it's crazy. You're so popular. Uh, it seems that way sometimes. And yet sometimes the phone never buzzes at all. And that's okay, too. Then I sleep. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I imagine the number of years you worked as a secretary at the school. You must have many connections on Facebook. It's amazing. that A day never goes by. I mean, I, I can be uptown shopping and some young man will come along and pick me up by the shoulders or put their arms around me and give me a hug and swing me around and I'm going who is this <laughs> you know and it's happened a few times several times especially when I was out working for the lawyers and I would be in and out of banks and in and out of stores and in and out of lawyers offices and everywhere and it would happen and I, I would turn around and say I can't remember your name Oh, that's okay. We remember you. <laughs> but I don't know. As long as you make a good impact on people as you meet them. But I guess as principals and, and teachers changed over the years at uh, Harry Balfour, you were there that was sort of the, the consistency for the kids through through their time going from teacher to teacher, classroom to classroom going on. And they were always there. So he definitely made an impact on a lot of kids. A lot of, I mean, there were a lot of kids that came to the office and had personal problems and some of them cried. Some of them needed a hug. You don't do that in schools anymore, apparently. <laughs> and I think that's what the schools are missing. And maybe some good scotchments. We're really glad to hear your story. There are many of the stories that I have never heard before. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing. Mm. I'm just looking back at those questions. How was the journey to your destination? <laughs> Long? Yep. Yeah, I thought the Peace Country was quite different. We went up to Hudson Hope one time on a drive. I guess I was probably maybe before I was 40. And we went on a tour of the dam up there. And there was a picture of St. Peter's Anglican Church on the wall, founded by the pioneers in 1939. And I went, oh, my goodness, pioneers. I was born that year. Yeah. <laughs> ah. So you were a pioneer, too, then. <laughs> I guess so, of sorts. But, oh. And I remember going camping with girl guides got stuck in the mud on the way back from Sturgeon Lake, Young's Point, down that way somewhere. Oh, and the mud was, we got stuck so badly. Had to have a farmer pull us out. Yeah, the mud is, is rough. It's one thing that I don't think I'll ever miss from the Peace Country is the mud. Oh, the mud. No, it's pretty sandy down in the Ontario. Have you traveled? In, in Toronto itself, I haven't been out of Toronto that much because I've been studying a lot, but... In Toronto, I never see the mud because everything is concrete. If you ever get a chance to take a drive up to Pembroke on the Ottawa River, go. It's beautiful on the on the river. I think your mom and dad were, your dad anyway, was pretty impressed with the size of the Ottawa River when we went to Montreal in 2012 with Jerry's Ashes. It's pretty wide. Yeah, the weather in Alberta is not ever like it was in Ontario and Quebec. 
I mean, it was cold there and damp, but at minus 40 here, you can still go out and dress for the weather. If it hit minus 40 in the east, the humidity, the dampness would go through you so, so fast. You would be just freezing. It would be more like minus 50 with a wind chill of minus 70 out here. (laughs) So how have your feelings for the peace country changed over time? I still miss the red maple leaves at this time of the year. And I miss the lakes and rivers that you can swim in in the east which we don't have out here. I don't care. Lake Saskatoon is not a lake to go swimming in. It is not. Yeah, having lived in Toronto for a while now, I I completely agree. Like growing up and learning about Canada and learning about like maple trees and maple syrup and all this stuff and sort of the traditions around maple syrup festivals in Upper and Lower Canada. And just being in the North and just, there's just no maple trees because it's just too harsh for them to grow in. To be here in the east and to like have the fall come and have the leaves turn such brilliant red and really get to experience that i kind of understand why people love it exactly yeah it's nice right now everybody out here is raving about how beautiful and golden the, the leaves are on the trees and all i can think about are the red maples yeah yes it is a different kind of beauty all the gold poplar in the birch among the spruce trees but I have always wanted to go to Eastern Canada, United States in the autumn and see the, the oaks and the maples and all the, the various colors of fall yeah. there. Well, you've, I'm sure you've seen pictures of the red maples, mm-hmm. you know, shining on the lake. But you do get in the north, like in the, in the boreal forest there, you get the tamaracks, right, which are the needle trees that they, they turn that vibrant yellow mm-hmm. and then they just drop tens of thousands of needles on the floor. Yeah. Those are fantastically brilliant trees. I do love, I do miss the tamaracks. Yeah. I really think it's fascinating that everybody has a, an individual and personal story. Life stories are always so interesting. It was really great to hear your part of your life story today, Grandma. There are all sorts of records in this world, but we each make our own individual little record in history. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, that was kind of fun. I've got albums. If I went through my albums, I could probably talk for hours and hours about the pictures in the albums. <laughs> uh, I think perhaps maybe we should uh, we should do that sometime then. Mm. I guess uh, if the picture is a thousand words. So uh, so wonderful to catch up, Grandma, and, and have you share your stories with us. Hopefully next time you're out this way, we'll see you, Garrett. Yep. Next time you're up this way, Preston, hope we see you too. Yep. Because our traveling days, I think, are pretty much done. Yeah. Well, you take care, Grandma, and you stay safe with Grandpa Jim there. Try to stay out of trouble. Yeah. Grandpa Jim, you're supposed to stay safe. (laughs) We don't go anywhere, he says. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Grandma. It's been great talking with you. Yeah, you take care. Fun seeing you guys. Thanks for thinking of me. No worries. We love you, Grandma. Love you, too.